0: to West Virginia Week, a regular podcast from West Virginia Public Broadcasting that summarizes the top stories of the week. This week began with Child Advocacy Day at the Capitol, where lawmakers learned about resources available to the state's children. Also, we hear from a new survey that shows teachers are increasingly likely to leave the profession in West Virginia. I'm your host this week, Emily Rice. Let's jump right in with a few short news stories. A bill with bipartisan support is moving through the legislature that would help those with dementia and their families. Randy Yoey has more.
1: Leaders with the Alzheimer's Association West Virginia chapter say more than half of the 40,000 West Virginians with Alzheimer's disease or dementia will wander off at some point. House Bill 4190 would create a purple alert system for missing, cognitively impaired persons. It uses video image recording devices to search and provides for notice and broadcasting of a purple alert. Bill sponsor delegate Daniel Linville, a Republican from Cabell County, says the purple alert is different from a silver alert that's focused on missing seniors.
2: There was a big gap there
3: for folks beneath the age of of being a senior who find themselves with a cognitive impairment and and ultimately end up missing, and their families uh, are searching for them.
1: Linville says implementation of the Purple Alert will simply follow the amber and silver alert templates. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Owey in
2: Charleston.
0: West Virginia teachers have become increasingly more likely to leave the profession. Chris Schultz has more.
2: The latest survey of West Virginia Education Association members was conducted to gauge their level of frustration. Dale Lee, president of the WVEA, shared results of the survey Tuesday that showed low pay and a lack of respect for the profession are leading to higher stress and burnout in teachers. More than 70 percent of respondents were dissatisfied with their working conditions.
4: In all instances, the dissatisfaction is overwhelming. Now, keep in mind that the working conditions of our educators are the learning conditions of our students.
2: Lee says he hopes to present the survey findings to both the Senate and House Education Committees and work with them on solutions. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown.
0: A resolution was introduced in the House of Delegates on Tuesday that gives powers usually reserved for the legislature to the people. Randy Yowie has more.
1: Introduced and rejected for several years, House Joint Resolution 14 would amend the state constitution to give the people the powers of initiative, referendum, and recall. The resolution sponsor is Delegate Chuck Horst, a Republican from Berkeley County. Horst says the time has come to increase a West Virginian's political decision-making strength.
5: They, they can recall an elected official if uh, the elected official is not acting appropriately uh, for, for what the people expected. would give them the power that by referendum they, they could uh, uh, collect enough signatures and get a particular issue put on the ballot for the people to, d- to decide if the legislature doesn't seem to want to address it.
1: The resolution now heads to the House Judiciary Committee, where there would be an option to draft a bill. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston.
0: Monday was Child Advocacy Day at the Capitol bringing together child welfare advocates to provide resources and educate the public. I have this story. The Senate passed a resolution making Monday Child Advocacy Day at the legislature. Special guests from the West Virginia Child Advocacy Network, or WVCAN, were set up outside the Senate chambers to spread their message. Kate Flack is the CEO of WVCAN. She said the group was at the Capitol to celebrate the work of local child advocacy centers and their multidisciplinary teams in the past year. She also wanted to urge lawmakers to continue to support services for child survivors of abuse.
6: Every year we want to make sure that
0: kids are as safe as possible so that we have laws that keep them safe, that make sure that those who perpetrate child abuse are held accountable. According to Flack, in the last year, nearly Nearly 4,900 new children were served by WVCAN's 21 Child Advocacy Centers. WVCAN serves 46 of West Virginia's 55 counties.
2: We're really proud of the work that's being
0: done. More than 10% increase um, in kids served in the last five years. Um, We know the services are no less needed now than they were before. A recent study of WVCAN's services found that West Virginia children are 4.7 times more likely to encounter drug endangerment than the national average. For Appalachia Health News, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. Appalachia Health News is a project of West Virginia Public Broadcasting with support from Charleston Area Medical Center and Marshall Health. A new budget proposal from Governor Jim Justice aims to ensure workers and their families can find affordable housing across the state. Jack Walker has the story.
6: Housing markets in West Virginia are under stress from rising rental costs and economic depression. But the budget proposal Justice announced Thursday aims to address this issue. This proposal would allocate $50 million of state surplus funds toward constructing single and multi-unit homes across the state. Justice hopes this can help more people move to West Virginia.
4: We need to devote ourselves to trying to stimulate and bring more and more and more folks and make it easier and easier and easier.
2: In
6: recent years, millions of dollars in federal funding has been invested in affordable housing for West Virginia. With added funding from the state, officials are hopeful for more accessible housing ahead. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Jack Walker in Charleston.
0: The City of Wheeling has cleared its first urban campsite under a new ordinance that went into effect earlier this month. Chris Schultz has more.
2: Discussions of exemptions to Wheeling's new public camping ban at Tuesday's City Council meeting were not enough for one encampment of unhoused people. Thursday morning, around seven people camping behind the Nelson Jordan Center were given a two-hour notice to vacate the premises. Dr. William Mercer provides medical services to Wheeling citizens experiencing homelessness with Project Hope. He was present for the city's clearing.
7: They had two bulldozers, two big trucks, about you know, 10 city employees, and police.
2: Mercer says it's unclear where the displaced will spend the night. Wheeling is under a winter weather advisory and Governor Jim Justice has declared a state of emergency statewide. A representative for the Wheeling City Manager declined to comment, citing pending litigation. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown.
0: Thursday was Rural Healthcare Day at the Capitol. Many healthcare providers and health advocacy organizations came to discuss challenges and advocate for possible solutions in rural healthcare. Brianna Heaney has more. Transportation is one major challenge in the healthcare system, especially for elderly residents. Karen Odell, communication and leadership strategist for Southern West Virginia Health System, says lack of access to public transportation and preventative care contribute to worse health outcomes in rural areas. If you are an individual who is single, living by themselves and do not have a family member or maybe a neighbor who can assist, when you go to have a specialist procedure that requires somebody to drive you, you may not seek that specialist care. She says this is especially important for life-saving screenings like colonoscopies or cancer screenings. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. You're listening to West Virginia Week, and now some of our top feature stories from the past week. For the legislature today, Randy Yoey spoke with House Speaker Roger Hanshaw, a Republican from Clay County, on issues important to him for this general legislative session. The discussion began with artificial intelligence and cybersecurity and ended with helping rural hospitals and supplying child care to working families. Here's an excerpt.
7: You
1: have developed in the House a special select committee, excuse me, on artificial intelligence. I talked to Delegate Maynard a bit, your co-chair this morning, but tell me the whole philosophy behind setting up this committee and, and what you hope to
3: accomplish. Well, the goal is to get out in front of that issue, Randy. It, it's, it's going to be transformative. It, it's, it's one of these issues that seems to have come on the scene at a pace that, that most of the world wasn't predicting. It's It's been one of those things that's been in development for decades now. We've all called automated hotlines for for a decade now and and on the other end of the phones been a robot or has been a computer that was a that was a form of artificial intelligence in its evolutionary stages fast forward a year till till we reach to reach chat GPT and generative yeah. artificial intelligence now and and we in the house want to get out in front of this topic we want to be at the leading edge of it and ask questions like how do we prepare the state of West Virginia's public education system to capitalize on artificial intelligence how do we use artificial intelligence tools to provide services to West Virginians can we can we speed up the process of renewing someone's vehicle registration using AI tools and the the select committee we created last Wednesday is designed to do that they're designed to be exploratory their charge is to just ask big questions to ask open-ended questions to bring experts here to the capital during the course of this 60-day session and perhaps thereafter and just just ask the big question how do we capitalize on this growing and evolving area of technology you know John Chambers who is a a, a storied West Virginian chairman and CEO of Cisco and really took that company from from a sleepy little IT company to one of the most valuable companies in the world John said in an interview recently that he believed the impact of artificial intelligence on the world would exceed and surpass the overall impact of the internet on the world. Now think about that for a minute. Wow! Think about how many ways the internet impacts our lives every single day. John, who is an expert in the field, by any measure, has predicted that the the tools of AI will surpass even even the impact of the internet. We need to be at the front of that. This
1: is an eye-opening. Uh, thought, because most people, when they hear about artificial, in, artificial intelligence, they have a negative connotation. But you just listed off five positives,
3: and I, th- I don't think that the regular general public has that concept well that's that's one of the charges of the committee is to look for positive ways to implement this technology we know it's going to be disruptive it's already been disruptive the question is can we can we use that disruption in a way that's that's, that's productive uh, pre- President Smith at Marshall University is, is, is often often heard to say change will either happen through you or happen to you <laughs> and we want it to happen through us makes good sense.
0: That was House Speaker Roger Hanshaw, speaking with Randy Yowie. For the legislature today, Eric Douglas spoke with Senate President Craig Blair, a Republican from Berkeley County, on issues important to him for this general legislative session. Here's an excerpt.
5: What are your expectations for the session? We're, what, five, six days in officially now. What are your expectations looking
8: forward? The expectations are to keep the momentum going in the state of West Virginia. In my lifetime, I don't believe that we've ever experienced better economic opportunities, better growth, better opportunities for change in the state of West Virginia to be able to propel us into the future. And uh, I'm proud of the work that we've done over the last eight years or ten years, whatever it may be, and it's growing. Uh, And that's exciting, Uh, investing into the infrastructure, uh, investing in education, getting a drug-free, educated workforce that's ready to go to work, stay in West Virginia. Virginia, and uh, people laugh at me when I say this, but if you keep our youth here, what happens is they have children, they have families. That's how you grow a state, that's how you grow an economic base that you can actually have further tax reductions and keep the momentum moving forward.
5: You know, I'm I, I, I'm old enough to remember we used to refer to the the uh, I-77 south headed to Charlotte is kind of the it was the hillbilly highway as we talked about. Everybody was growing up and leaving the state. What what can we do to? to keep people
8: in the state? It was our number one export for that matter uh, is our youth for gainful employment. Look, I'm from the Eastern Panhandle, and everybody thinks that we're wealthy over there. And I uh, know what it is is that there's a lot of people that's wanting to get out of the state of Maryland, to get out of Washington, D.C., and those markets. And uh, West Virginia is very, very attractive for that because our people are great and the people moving there are great. But you gotta be able to have the jobs When I was growing up, there was GM, 3M, DuPont, Corning, the list went on, and they all left. Why? Because they were taxed out of the state. Then we turned into a bedroom community. You cannot have a tax base to be able to do that. And we were like a barometer for the rest of the state. We were hemorrhaging jobs out of the state. And when you lose the jobs and the upward mobility and the economic opportunities, people leave. Uh, The two most mobile things in our society is labor and capital. And we're attracting both now to the state of West Virginia. And that's how you keep your our youth here. You don't have to worry about school closings or, or riffing teachers or consolidations. What you worry about is, is the fact that you got more young people in the system and those children coming through, and you got a tax base. You're able to pay the teachers more and the state employees more, school service personnel more, and we've been doing that. Uh, over the last 8 to 10 years. Well, I'm proud of what we've sure. done.
5: So, last year you passed a pretty, pretty amazing tax cut for the, for the state. I mean, uh, amazing in the, in the scale of it, I, I guess is what I want to say. Um, what, $780 million, I think, was roughly. Has that worked out as you expected? I mean, I know it's only been a year, but has
8: it, has it, are you seeing the fruition of that? Yes, it'll work out. Uh, I'm not concerned by that. And by the way, I was the author of the Flatline Budget, where four years, it was me and the name Eric. Uh, Eric Nelson was the finance chairman for the House side, then Eric Householder, and then I've got Eric, or had Eric Householder and Eric Tarr. Uh, But by controlling our spending, and this is exactly what the federal government should do, they should actually control the spend and let the revenues grow. And when we did that, that afforded us the opportunity to be able to go in and do the tax reductions. I said that we'd have six, seven, $800 million. We did. Actually, we had $1.8 million. Problem with that is, is that we were using severance tax. The severance tax made up almost a billion of those excess revenues. They're down this year. Right. The production is up, both coal and gas, but the prices are down. The most beautiful part about what we got going on right now is we're really not budgeting the severance tax. I can remember when I was first elected in 2003, where we were underwater, we were cutting in the middle of the year, and they were hoping somebody would win the record powerball, and they did. But that's no way to run That's no way to run a state. Run yeah. a government and run a state. We have changed those, all those dynamics, and then you can see the people's wages are up, the job opportunities. In October, and that's the latest numbers that I have, there was 6,198 people that was drawing an unemployment check. That's a big deal. Out of 1.8 million people, and you've only got 6,198. 6,200. We'll, yeah. we'll use round numbers, yeah. Uh, d- d- I get caught up in trying to have precision numbers, yeah, no, understand. and there's a reason for that. You can't make good decisions on bad information, and that's another thing that I am have been about, is making sure that we got the right data, the right information, and then be conservative on the decisions that you make.
0: That was Senate President Craig Blair speaking with Eric Douglas. Visit our website to hear the rest of that conversation and tune in nightly at 6 p.m. Monday through Friday for The Legislature Today or check out The Legislature Today podcast to listen to the shows whenever it's convenient for you. Fewer coal miners are killed on the job than in past years, but black lung remains a persistent problem. Curtis Tate and I spoke with Chris Williamson, the Assistant Secretary for Mine Safety and Health at the U.S. Department of Labor, about MSHA's efforts to reduce the safety and health risks in coal mines.
2: When can we expect to see the final rule on silica dust exposure for coal miners?
6: We anticipate uh, a a final uh, silica rule coming out in April of 2024. Now that's our projection, and that's about as much as I can say about it. But what I what else I can I guess what the other thing I can say is is that you know anybody that's you know listened to me is during the entire time that I've been assistant secretary is that you know this has been a huge priority not just for me but for this administration, and you know we know the importance of the issue. Um, you, you, you know, people people think that re, you know, working on regulatory issues, especially the complex health rule, like you can just get it out the door. And it, it's not that simple. And, you know, I, I I would be remiss if I didn't, you know, acknowledge, you know, the the countless MSHA and other Department of Labor employees. I mean, they're working through, they are going to be people working through the holidays on this. Like we're taking this incredibly serious. We know how important the issue is. Um, and you know what exists right now um, is not adequate to prevent minors um, from getting sick and to protect adequately protect their health. And you know we're going to do everything we can to continue to to push forward on this. It's a huge priority, and, and will continue to be a huge priority. And 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 we'll see. I mean, once you know, once we get. A, a final rule developed, then, you know, just anybody that follows this process knows that, you know, it has to go um, through an interagency review process at, at, you know, through the Office of Management Budget. And, um, you know, that would be the next step. And, um, you know, we're going to continue to work as hard and, um, you know, hard as we can to, to, to try to do that. So
0: we have seen quite the steep drop-off in coal miner deaths in West Virginia. And obviously, that's incredible news, but we are wondering what to attribute that to and what some of the biggest dangers that coal miners
6: specifically are facing. And then we can talk about miners of all kinds as well. Let's really look at you know what we can do to reduce all these serious accidents um, and, and these fatal accidents. And we have it. It's not in the public, uh, in the federal register yet, but. Um, we have completed a final rule on, um, on the safety side that will require safety programs for surface mobile equipment. And you know I think that is going to be an opportunity as we implement that regulation to get the entire mining community to focus on those machinery and powered haulage and those those types of issues and 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 that's one of the things i'm going to be talking about and asking everybody to you know these are we we know that these have been the biggest drivers of 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 fatal accidents the past few years and let's all really focus on them and, and 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 try to make sure that that we're reducing the number so that's on the safety side and we talked a little bit on the health side i mean health is going to continue to be a a a is it, as i've said over and over again and you know part of our campaign you know, miners' health must at least be equally as important as miners' safety. And, and, and whether it's our work on a silica regulation, the, inf- the implementation and or enforcement of that regulation, um, the work we're going to do to continue to encourage miners to exercise their Part 90 rights, you know, all the other things we do in the miners' health space. Um, you know, that's going to continue to be a priority as well. So that's what we've been focused on in 2023. Um, and, and, and that's what we're going to continue to focus on in 2024. You know, and, 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 and I hope in 2024 that, you know, the, the nation's miners, who as we talked about on, on, on for National Miners Day, you know, they do incredibly important work that we all benefit from. And there's a basic principle there that they ought to be able to do that work and return home, safe and healthy. Um, you know, people that, you know, in the community I grew up in, they need to be able to go home to, to, to Williamson or Logan or, uh, you know, Dingus, West Virginia. They need to be able to do that, uh, both safe and healthy and go home to their families. That was Chris
0: Williamson, the head of Emsha, speaking to Curtis, Tate and me about mine safety and health. Recently, a class-action lawsuit against the Department of Health and Human Resources for Children's Rights Related to the Foster Care System has taken a turn as attorneys battle for sanctions against the agency. I have this story. Attorneys in a class-action lawsuit against the DHHR and Governor Jim Justice over the state's treatment of those in foster care announced in October that they were filing for sanctions because the DHHR had failed to preserve about three years of requested emails. The DHHR said the Office of Technology was responsible for the statewide policy of deleting the emails of people who left the state's employment within 30 days. However, relevant emails, had a litigation hold placed on them, according to court documents. A litigation hold prevents spoilation, destruction, alteration, or mutilation of evidence. In November, the defendants in the case filed an opposition to the plaintiff's motions for sanctions, apologizing to the court and the plaintiffs for the lost electronically stored information. In the midst of this lawsuit and the breaking up of the DHHR into three separate agencies, the State Health Department top attorney retired at the beginning of 2024. The DHHR's general counsel, April Robertson, retired from the state of West Virginia effective January 2nd, 2024. A spokesperson for the newly created West Virginia Department of Health said in an email. Marsha Robinson-Lowry is the lead plaintiff for the class and executive
7: director of A Better Childhood. It was just Another example of the dysfunction within this agency and when you think about the fact that it's responsible for the lives of dependents and vulnerable children, um, it's pretty alarming. In an email response, Whitney
0: Wetzel, a spokesperson for the Department of Human Services, previously part of the DHHR, said the litigation hold had been sent to the West Virginia Office of Technology, instructing them to preserve all emails relevant to the case, but that the hold was not placed on certain accounts, resulting in some emails not being preserved. Wetzel said Justice directed the Office of Technology to develop an updated form and process for legal hold requests. Wetzel also said that all emails of current employees, including all emails between current employees and former employees, have been preserved and said a majority of relevant emails involving dozens of employees are available to be produced to the plaintiffs. In an affidavit, Michael Folio, Legal Director of Disability Rights of West Virginia and previous attorney at the DHHR, testified that officials at the agency, namely April Robertson and previous Secretary of the DHHR, Bill Crouch, Knew about policies surrounding litigation holds.
9: Well, I had conversations with each of April Robertson and Bill Crouch that arose as a result of an employee's emails not having been preserved who was going to be a witness in a pending civil action. And I raised the issue at that time about spoliation of evidence. And this Um, It was wholly unrelated to the foster care lawsuit.
0: Lowry said in a lawsuit like this, she has to show that not only were the children's constitutional rights violated, but that it was done with deliberate indifference to the
7: child's rights. The way you usually do it is by getting emails um, from the key players and showing that there's a pattern of saying that they knew about it, they knew about the harm being, put puts it on children, etc., uh, people, because people don't admit it.
0: However, in this case, the emails and the evidence they contain have not been presented to the plaintiffs. Lowry said the loss of that information brought her to ask the judge for sanctions against the
7: DHHR. There seems to be some sort of a pattern here with the state n- disclose, not disclosing keeping information that's necessary to prove your case. And uh, the rule is that if they have done it willfully, then there are influences that can be made um, in the plaintiff's favor. Lowry
0: called the case highly unusual and said defendants know that when they are being sued, or even about to be sued, they have to maintain documentation.
7: Whether they didn't do it because they were incompetent or inefficient or willful or just happened, we don't know. Um, But we do think it's a very serious issue. And and it's never happened in another case that I've been involved in.
0: Lowry said settlement discussions were had years ago at the beginning of the lawsuit in 2019, but that they were not fruitful conversations. So she decided to proceed to a trial. She said one of the best things about settlement is being able to discuss with defendants the best ways of fixing the system.
7: We're still fighting about whether the system violates the Constitution. And we think it clearly is. one of the very worst systems in the country. When asked whether
0: the division of the original Department of Health and Human Resources into three separate departments would have an impact on the case, Lowry said only if the new secretaries presented concrete improvement plans.
7: If they were to say that, we would be very, very happy to talk to them. But that's not happened. And that doesn't mean it won't happen. Folio said the splitting of
0: the DHHR into three agencies is a bold and symbolic gesture. To
9: me, this is not, the, the, the split is not just coming up with a new organizational chart. The split requires a cultural change. It requires a change of, of individuals in leadership who manage the day-to-day affairs. And admittedly, you know, there are three new secretaries, but the people under them, by and large, are still the same individuals who were there that resulted in the criticism by the legislature that resulted in the split of DHHR into the three agencies.
0: The trial date has recently been moved from June to September because the defendants cannot produce the information the plaintiffs are seeking. The court has ordered them to give the plaintiffs more information by the end of January
7: haven't given it to us yet. It's not due till the end of this month. But it is a real system in total disarray. And and children, but the bottom line here is kids' lives are being damaged by how poorly this system runs.
0: All parties will go before a magistrate judge who will hear arguments on sanctions on January 17th, 2024. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. For the legislature today, I sat down with Delegate Amy Summers, a Republican from Taylor County, and Senator Charles Trump, a Republican from Morgan County, to discuss why the Department of Health and Human Resources was broken up into three separate agencies and how it's going. Tell me about the work that you and your colleagues did last year to split the agency.
10: I've been serving for the last 10 years, and we have found that the department size has made it very difficult to get to the heart of issues. So we decided to split that department, it's been this way over 30 years, into three specific departments that deal with different issues. So Department of Health, Department of Human Services, and Department of Health Facilities. And in those different departments, facilities, the state of West Virginia owns many facilities, psych hospitals, some long-term care facilities, Welch Hospital. That department can deal specifically with those, eight, with those entities that we own and work to improve problems that we're having. You hear a lot of issues at some of the mental, mental um, the site facilities. And then Department of Health, dealing strictly with health issues. And Human Services, dealing with a lot of services that our people need uh, to help them do well in life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Senator Trump, you sponsored a version of House Bill 2006 last year um, in the Senate. I wanted to talk about any differences between that bill and the one that passed, and was there anything in that bill that you would have liked to see come to fruition?
4: Well, I'll say this. Uh, first of all, thank you for uh, having us, Emily. It's great great to be here. Uh, Amy explained, excuse me, Delegate Chairman, Chairman Summers explained very well Uh, the the reason that many legislators uh, in both houses came to the conclusion that it would uh, enhance services to the citizens of the state if we uh, divided what was an enormous, is an enormous uh, agency of state government into component parts. Uh, The the breadth of its mission as a single entity uh, is it's was too much to have uh, cobbled together uh, in one Cabinet Secretary's position. And so uh, the House bill uh, that we ended up passing uh, was uh, an excellent bill, in my opinion. And uh, I don't think there was anything in the bill that I have worked on that, uh, that we ultimately failed to include. Now, we, we all know as we move forward, we're going to have uh, lots of adjustments to make. Uh, But I think we're off to a good start based on the House bill that uh, Delegate Summers worked so hard on and members of both houses did. And uh, I'm hopeful that over the course and fullness of time, we'll see improvements uh, in the delivery of services to the people of West Virginia as a result of making those changes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so Delegate Summers, um, where we are now with the split Obviously, we have three separate agencies, but is the split going at a pace that you're happy with?
10: Yeah, it's actually effective January 1. Okay. And so, but we allowed in our bill that the House and Senate worked on that reorganization bill together. And so we had just companion bills um, last year. But um, I, what I was going to tell you. Yeah. Um, um, the where we are with the split Oh, now. okay, yes, sorry. Yeah. So the new secretaries in the bill, we allowed them to become acting secretaries this summer. So July 1, they've been able to get their feet wet and figure out what things they need to do. Now they are, they are secretaries starting January 1. So this is where we dealt with the structure Of DHHR, the old DHHR. Our next steps are to get involved in the function of that and you will start to see bills this session that deal with the function and how things are working and then in time when we've established changes to the function then we will really be able to get to the heart of the budget Mm -hmm. of all of these different agencies.
0: Okay and one of those bills um, actually passed the House today, one of those reorganization bills, the renaming of the DHHR, that's one of yours. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
10: That's really just name changes, getting all of the names correct in the budget. But the most important bill that we've passed out of my committee so far, let me make sure I tell you the right number, is House Bill 4595. And that deals with changing The Legislative Oversight Commission on Health and Human Resource Accountability, that deals with changing some of the function of that committee.
0: That was Delegate Amy Summers and Senator Charles Trump speaking with me about splitting up the DHHR. Visit our website to hear the rest of that conversation and tune in nightly at 6 p.m. Monday through Friday for the Legislature Today. That's it for West Virginia Week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you back here next week. As always, you can see these stories and more at wvpublic.org. I'm Emily Rice.